Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every strong soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. We're here to share resources and experts on topics important to you, the military family. Join us. We've got another great episode starting right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Robin Boyd. And Rob, we've got a tough topic to talk about today, but it's something that's necessary and it's really affecting uh, our veterans. Our veterans commit suicide double and sometimes triple the rate of civilians. And um, every single day, one of our active duty service members is lost to suicide. Every single day. Not, not you know... Every week, not every month. I mean, these numbers are are alarming. You know, 22 uh, veterans every single day uh, commit suicide. And, and these facts are coming from StopSoldierSuicide.org. And um, it's really important that we bring the elephant out of the room and put it right on the table and talk about it and shed some light on it. And, you know, I'm really happy that we're going to have Paul Quinnett today uh, talk a little bit about uh, QPR and some other neat things that they're doing to make a difference. It is because I think so many times there just aren't um, resources at hand or trusted resources. And how wonderful it is to be able to share with everyone um, a, a place to go, a place to get real earthy answers. I think so many times um, you go for support and either you're caught up in the system or you're caught up in um, a lot of talk that is not clear or isn't in English, if you will. Um, and I think it's wonderful to be able to have this resource um, that is tangible and usable and practical and successful. Well, you know, it's so important because, you know, one of the things that we teach our soldiers is that we almost have to be inhuman. You know, you're you're going to uh, take care of your your buddies. You're going to be reliable. You're going to stand in the face of danger. You're going to stare death in the face, and you're going to do it because that's what your job is. Um, but when your job isn't that anymore, you know, when you look at our veterans, 22 every day, or even our active duty, you know, we're expecting inhuman responses to very human people. So why would somebody in crisis seek help? I mean, I just, I, I'm just really curious. Why would you? Mm, I, I, well, there again, I think so many people don't seek help because they're thinking that they are the only one. They are, and, and we'll have to ask our guest, what are the um, reasons? It, it's very, very difficult. And living with a veteran, I know that there are many demons that that still haunt him today. And and he's going. He's sixty seven years old, and it doesn't go away. Um, there are there are. There are things that will always be with our veterans, and this is what's so challenging is to be able to find um, the right 
the right balance to be able to, you have to acknowledge the experiences that they had. You can't say, oh, it'll go away. They will never go away. But how to, how to balance those and how to find the, the blend of our, of our civilian lives um, after we've had our veterans go through what they've gone through. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, these, these numbers just can't sustain, you know, there's, we're doing something wrong. I mean, clearly, I, I, you know, at whatever level, you know, not, we're not here to point fingers, but you, you know, we're doing something wrong as a society, as a military, as a population, and we need to fix it because this is just the, you know, these numbers are just staggering. Very much so. Um, and I, I am, um, hoping that um, there are a lot more resources through the system, if you will. I think so many times in the past, veterans have had to go somewhere and, and have struggled. And it's been a, it's been a crap, crap, shoot, crap shoot to try to find the right resources. Whereas if when they're uh, severed and the reintegration begins, we're starting to now have these resources given to our veterans to say, here is the support. You should do this. You should do this. Hopefully that is changing. Um, things are very different with my son-in-law than it was with my husband, for example, when he severed. Um, and it was, he was given direction. He was given uh, resources. He was given processes through the VA that were never there for, for Stephen. Never. Yeah, but they still aren't enough, clearly, with these numbers. Oh, obviously. You know? Obviously, yeah. I was reading, um, you know, the Stop Suicide, Stop Soldier Suicide website has some pretty interesting information, and uh, it is StopSoldierSuicide.org. They were uh, put up this thing called uh, the Veteran Suicide Warning Signs, and, you know, you could just see this happen to just about anyone, you know, feeling that you don't belong or you're a burden. Um, they find that if there's a significant relationship, financial, medical, or work-related problem that just, just exacerbates the problem, if they're mm-hmm. Facing current or pending disciplinary or legal action, we know a lot of our uh, guys and gals have substance abuse issues. You know whether they're drinking too much or too often. You know those can spiral out into some pretty you know difficult problems. And then you know throw on to that our normal life transitions, which all of us have trouble with: divorce, retirement, discharge. Um, but the one thing that I think is was most pronounced to me when I read this, Rob, was the loss of a fellow soldier or a veteran friend. You know what you don't realize is when you lose one person, you know, like we had a young man, a young boy, actually 12 years old, kill himself in our town. And, you know, the whole town was stunned. The whole town was hurting and affected. And, you know, when you have people that already are on the bubble uh, and then they have a friend or family member who's a veteran or a fellow soldier, it's really, really, you know, crisis time. Mm -hmm. It's true. Um, and I saw it firsthand when Stephen lost a, a buddy um, and he hadn't seen him in a while. He kept saying, I need to go see him. I need to go see him. Um, we exchanged Christmas cards. Uh, we sent to him and we hadn't gotten one from, from his, he and his wife. And finally, his wife wrote to Stephen and said, it's been uh, a year and a half and I haven't had the courage to write to you, but he passed away and it just hit Steve uh, like a, like a sword through his heart. It just was very, very difficult for him. Um, 
yeah, there's there's no explanation. There's no way I think we can we can if we've never been there. <laughs> I think that bond is just inexplicable. Absolutely. Well, and that's why, you know, Paul Quinnett, and you have his bio handy, because I'd like to, when we come back from the break, get right into, you know, who he is and what he does. I think we've got a few minutes before break. I do. You know what I wanted to, uh, I have a a concert coming up, though, before we go to break. Um, We have a a listener, a a supporter of Military Mom Talk Radio, who has just released her first album. Linda Reed is uh, very proud to share her uh, CD release concert. And if you're in the San Pedro area, we invite you to uh, listen to Linda Reed and hear Our Tree. It is uh, a remarkable uh, piece. I've listened to some of the clips. It's a wonderful blend of um, various feels and flavors, very jazz, jazzy, a little ballad and funk, a lot of Brazilian undertones and influences. Um, and many of the songs were self-written uh, by Linda Reed and if also produced by, if you are in the, especially in the uh, jazz uh, realm or, or uh audience, Roberto Montero would be definitely a name you would be familiar with. He is the producer of our tree. So on um, uh, October 17th at uh, 8pm, it is at the Alvis showroom. And if you want more information, go to lindareed.com. It's L-Y-N-D-A-R-E-E-D, lindareed.com. Um, it, it, lovely. If you, haven't, if you haven't heard part of it, it's, it's beautiful, just beautiful. So we do, we do, that's what you need is beautiful music, (laughs) beautiful music. Life is, life should be full of beautiful music. Um, Yes, our, our guest is uh, Dr. Paul Quinnett. He's a clinical psychologist and the president and CEO of the QPR Institute. And I'm really anxious to talk more about this institute. It's fascinating when you look at how it was built in its mission. Um, It's an educational organization dedicated to prevent suicide. Training in seven countries, the Institute's more than 6,000 active certified QPR instructors have trained almost 2 million lay and professional people in how to prevent suicide. I love this, the sustainability of this program. It's not just you go, you uh, go through a program and then you leave. There is a sustainability built into this, which um, I think is brilliant and remarkable. And isn't that what is needed is to have this, um, have the tools to be able to continue and be able to uh, practice almost every day. You know, it's like an exercise. It is. Well, and it reminds me of the biblical thing with Jesus and the fish. Like he's not giving out the fish. He's given the, how do you make a fishing pole? How to, you know, <laughs> when you educate people, it's sustainable. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's so interesting to me because QPR sounds so much like CPR. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There's we're going to talk to him about that because there is a correlation. Um, and it's funny that you should uh, bring up the parable of Jesus as a fisherman because this is uh, Dr. Quinnett's second career. He considers it his second career. He's an avid fly fisherman, and um, I'm so anxious to talk to that to, to him to that correlation as well. Um, I it's he sounds delightful, and um, his books are on Amazon. And um, he is also um, a lot of information you will find right on qprinstitute.com. We want to put that 
website right out there, right here at the top of the show, because that is certainly going to be uh, your go-to place if you need information, if you want support, if you yourself need support, if you are a loved one needing to find support for somebody, um, this is the place to start. Like Dorothy on the yellow brick road she has to start <laughs> at the <laughs> very beginning <laughs> so on the other side of the break we're looking forward to talking to dr paul quinette um this is military mom talk radio do stay with us get comfy get a cup of tea cup of coffee and we will be right back We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Are you ready to start rocking that woo-hoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woo-hoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boo-hoo and turn it into woo-hoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we are going to meet with Dr. Paul Quinnett, and he is the owner and operator of the QPR Institute. And this is a really neat organization because it allows for both individual training and organizational training, uh, as well as research and, and theory. And, you know, 
Dr. Paul, I'm so excited that you're here with us today because at Military Mom, we work very hard with these special interest shows in preventing suicide and raising awareness um, for our service members and their families. So I'm really excited to have you here today to shed some new light on, you know, what is becoming a very difficult uh, problem for our country. Well, I'm very happy to be here, Sandra. So let's Uh, get going. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's get going. Okay, so Dr. Paul, could you give us a brief rundown of your background and what led you to forming the QPR Institute? Well, I'm a clinical psychologist and worked in a variety of settings in my early career, including psychiatric hospitals and so forth. But I ended up as the director of a large um, uh, outpatient mental health service in the public sector. Um, at We were at one time one of the largest mental health centers in the United States. So we had in the closing years of my career, about 10,000 patients a year were seen by our organization, and I was the director of the majority of that staff who were seeing adults and older people. Uh, And in the course of our experience there, we lost active patients to suicide, people that we were seeing who took their own lives, or we had seen them recently, and within a month or so, they had ended their own lives. And so as the director, I conducted what are called fatality reviews, and went poured through the medical records with the team and tried to find out where we might have gone wrong. Did we fail to do something? Had we overlooked something? Were we properly trained and so forth? Just as you would do with a, what's called a morbidity and mortality review after a surgery that went bad and someone uh, died. So as we conducted those explorations into our own practice and knowledge and skills, we discovered that we weren't nearly as smart as we thought we were and that we needed a great deal more training. So we created uh, training programs for our own clinical staff um, and then exported those to other people. But we also realized that the friends and family members of people who have uh, a crisis of suicide are also not informed about what to look for what to do with something they see that concerns them or how to respond to uh, what we call suicide warning signs. If somebody says or does something that suggests they might be planning to exit this world, what can we do? How should we respond? So working with public health, we developed the, the process and the methodology called QPR, which is how do you recognize suicide warning signs and what do you say? How do you respond? What questions do you ask? And then how do you convince someone to go with you to get help? And so that I worked in that sector uh, 30 years of my career. I also had a limited private practice in consulting with businesses and seeing private patients and so forth. But that's where it came from is my concern in that case for, for consumer safety, people who were using our services. And um, now, of course, it's spread to all kinds of settings where People have contact with at-risk populations, older people, young people, uh, and so forth. So we're very busy training uh, thousands of people a month now in how to be helpful to people who may be thinking about killing themselves. It's fascinating, the approach that that brought you to this. And uh, QPR, everything is an acronym, especially in the military. Let us know what QPR stands for and how that is the basis of your whole process. Okay. It's a very good question. Uh, QPR stands for question, uh, persuade, and refer. And there's a reason for each of those action steps, and they all are action steps. 
the first is the is to learn how to question someone who's sending a suicide warning sign. Now, a suicide warning sign might be something like, you know, where I'm going, uh, I can't take my pets. Will you take care of them if I'm gone? Well, that sounds like an innocent enough uh, request unless you realize that this person isn't actually going anywhere, that they're using indirect language to describe their intent to take their own lives. Or, for example, someone giving away prized possessions that you know they're going to need next week, but suddenly they want to give them away. Or people saying things like, um, the world would be better off if I wasn't here. Or a real common one is, I'm just a burden on this family or my unit in the military. And, um, you know, you can ask the staff sergeant to find someone to cover my guard shift. Those kinds of telltale uh, statements of what appears to be a, a suicidal desire or plan to make a suicide attempt. So what we do is we train people to recognize those kinds of warning signs, and then how do you ask the question to clarify that, in fact, what you heard was true? Uh, so, so you would say, All right, what are you saying? Are you thinking about taking your life? That would be a clarifying question. So, and this comes out of my actually my own military training because I was in the Army Security Agency many, many years ago, and we were trained in surveillance and evaluating uh, text messages in those days or code and so forth and trying to make meaning out of intercepts. So this is not something that's new. It's been going on forever. But uh, So that's the first step is how do you question people, and then how do you get them to listen uh, or to for you to learn how to listen well enough that they will then agree with you to go and get help because this is just like CPR. What do you do until the medics get here? You do this. And we use the CPR chain of survival uh, uh, plan just as CPR does. So you apply the QPR, uh, you question, persuade, and, and then get that person to take a referral, accept a referral, and we teach people to actually put them in your car and take them there or walk them to the, the, the chaplain's office or the wherever you have to go, whatever your resources are that you have access to. So I, does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, I think the biggest challenge that uh, many families have is that first conflict, that first confrontation or intervention. Um, sometimes... Uh, a veteran may be a service person may have had some anger or some some difficulty with um, um, emotions and sure. that confrontation is difficult for a family member so giving them the permission or the 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 bravery <laughs> to do so i think is is very important well i think it's hard too rob and 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 dr paul i mean i'd be afraid of the answer well, and that's exactly why people don't ask. That's why we prepare people to what they're going to encounter. We know this is difficult to ask. And many of the warning signs for suicide among particularly men and younger men is anger, irritability, inability to sleep, depressed mood, and isolation. Those are the things that we should be most worried about. And people are often edgy and they're difficult to approach. So we teach people the exact language to use to break through that initial resistance so that the person will accept what you're about to do, which is to listen to why they might be considering ending their life. So we, we have that we call it easy, straight-out questioning, 
and then we have a more gentle way of saying it. For example, we might say, well, when people are going through what you seem to be going through and having trouble sleeping and not eating and, and irritable, sometimes they're thinking about ending their own lives. I wonder if you're thinking that way too. So you, you ask for an agreement to a scenario, and we teach people those scenarios so that they can get to this question because this is what's hard for folks to understand is that most suicidal people, in fact, on my view, almost all of them, are literally dying to tell somebody how much pain they're in. And if you can lean into that pain with compassion and an open heart and not be frightened by it, then you have a huge opportunity to save a life because people, once you get past that initial kind of resistance and they realize you can tolerate talking about this, not, not somebody you're going to go see, but you can actually use the word and talk about it, even though you're anxious and it makes you nervous to do this, doing it together makes life possible. And most people will open right up and, and start to tell you, you know, what's been going on with their life in the in recent past and what's driving this kind of thinking. Nobody wants to do this thinking all by themselves, trust me. They're all over the Internet you know, talking about it, expressing it, hoping people will talk to them. It's why the Veterans Crisis Line opened up a chat, because this is very hard to do in the voice on a phone. 30% of crisis calls are hang-ups, because when it comes time to actually start talking, people can't do it. So this is a, it, this is no different than CPR or even the Heimlich maneuver. I mean, we didn't do these things 30 years ago either, and people died because no one would lean in and take action. Well, and that's the funny thing, Paul, when I looked at your site here, you know, I, I was trained in CPR as a lifeguard and, and, you know, when I went to to school, went to college and then, you know, they had us take CPR because I worked in the uh, cafeteria, you know, where there's lots of people coming in. I thought that was so strange. Now I'm like, it seems automatic. Why wouldn't everybody be trained in CPR? But I look at QPR and think, how come our teachers, how come our companies, you know, this is not expensive. You're talking a hundred bucks, 120 bucks for a six to ten hour course or $149 for the risk assessment and management training. We're not talking break in the bank here for information, especially, you know, most, at least in my experience, Rob, you too, our military families like mine and yours, Rob, have multiple military family members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the basic QPR training, the course that we just put up here in the last few weeks, the QPR for veterans course, and I just want you guys to know and your audience to know that if anybody's interested in taking that, I'm gonna, I can give you a prompt so at the purchase point you can get a 40% discount on that course because we're very keen to make a dent in these veterans' lives we're losing every day, which is 22 a day, as you all know now. So I'm happy to that, give you that prompt if you'd like it. Yeah. Okay. When you see the prompt at the purchase point, it's QPR. V, as in veteran. That's perfect. And that'll lead to a QPR, V, as in veteran. veteran. We're coming up to a break, uh, Dr. Paul, and on the other side of the break, we want to talk more um, about your... your process and um, some of the stories perhaps um, that 
we love to hear success stories, um, and and we'd love to to have that uh, to sort of look toward because so many times I think, and I as a cancer patient knew how difficult it was to face what I was going through, except to be able to put my focus on someone who'd already been there and had succeeded. We're here with Dr. Paul Quinnett from the QPR Institute. Be back in just a moment. Stay with us. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. This is Uncommon Sense for Leaders, a forum for exploring leadership from the intellect, the heart, and the spirit. Whether you're a leader now or aspire to be a leader in the future, you owe it to yourself to learn about the big ideas that have shaped the careers of compelling communicators, masters of influence, and highly effective leaders. Uncommon Sense for Leaders. Tune in to hear thought-provoking ideas on every aspect of leadership. You can expect dynamic discussions with special guests, quick tips you can apply immediately for better results, and the tools you need to take you from where you are to where you want to be as a leader. Are you ready to crack the code for achieving unprecedented results? Then join the host for Uncommon Sense for Leaders, Catherine Carlisi, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the All Business Radio Network. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with lessons in joyful living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches lessons in joyful living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we're visiting today with Dr. Paul Quinnett, and he is um, the owner and operator of the QPR Institute, and we're talking about recognizing the signs, having conversations, and what we're supposed to do when we suspect that one of our friends or family members is suicidal, and that's a really tough thing. Even just to do that intro, Rob, is tough for me because it has such a... You know, feeling to it, but I can only imagine. I'm going to put this question over to Dr. Paul. Can you get to the point where you can talk to somebody without having like all this crazy fear in your heart, or you just have to manage it? Well, yes, you can, but it takes time to get there. I, I we we've taught this uh, the suicide risk assessment course at the university level, and typically for social workers, for example. The, the assessment course is a, is a three-credit, 30-hour course, and we have the students practice again and again and again how to, to carry out this conversation to determine how much risk is present right now.
right now because you're going to have to make a decision for people. You know, are they are they so close to attempting suicide they need to be in a hospital, or can they can they get uh, observations and uh, somebody to take keep an eye on them for a few days? Uh, that will that be enough? I mean, if you think about the numbers, you know, you about eight or nine million adults will seriously think about suicide in America each year, and out of that number, at at the end of every year, forty thousand or so will have killed themselves. So. Lots and lots of people have suicidal ideation or thoughts about wishing they were dead or could go away and never come back or so forth and so on. So there's a lot of suicidal thoughts and feelings that do not lead to a suicide attempt or death. Uh, But the challenge is how do you know how much risk is present and what actions you should then take? And um, so, you know, if you've had CPR training, so you know that sometimes the symptoms you're seeing are not a cardiac event but they had too much pizza. Uh, you still have to do, you know, you still have right. to do an intervention, but the assessment will then decide what happens next. But what we're aiming for is to train not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of people in the CPR equivalent for a mental health emergency. And you're familiar with the best place to have a heart attack in America. What city should you be in if you hope to survive and you're out of a hospital? And it's not New York, it's not Dallas, it's not you know, Chicago, it's King County, and that in specific is Seattle. The survival rate for non-hospital cardiac events is 62% now, and it's less than 10% in any city in the country. So why are so many people saved from heart attacks in Seattle? It's because one in four adults in King County has been trained in CPR. Your odds of being observed and rescued by a bystander or a friend, somebody in the family, somebody at a dinner party, are astronomically good. So it's based on surveillance and training and people's encouragements to act so that they can initiate the chain of survival. And that's what we want to do for suicide prevention. What kind of support can you direct people to when there are they are in more remote areas of our country? Um, I know even some of our listeners who are not even are two or three hours away from a VA hospital, uh, if that, um, there are a lot of struggles with people who are just not near uh, the facilities that they need to be. Well, we're working on on that, and I, I just want to just say that. The VA now, if you dial the 1-800-HELPLINE, you know, if you press 1, you can talk to a veteran right away. But you can also, if a veteran or active military calls the uh, Vets for Warriors, B-E-T-S, the number four warriors, that number gets answered within 30 seconds by a trained veteran. And that's available 24-7 for talk and support. And, you know, that I would really, the DOD just defunded them, so they're able now to grow that organization. That uh, uh, organization is, uh, CEO is uh, retired General Mark uh, Graham. I don't know if you know who he is or not. Oh, sure. Okay, so that's a, that's a resource for people in rural areas. I, we really understand the rural situation. In fact, I'm living, I'm calling or talking to you from a very remote site in North Idaho in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We understand the need for services, and we're really kind of pushing for uh, Skype, um, psychiatry via Skype. I have a colleague who also lives in the mountains, a trained psychiatrist, and he works every Friday face-to-face with people on Skype. 
and writing prescriptions for their nearest pharmacy and so forth. So the suicide rates are highest in rural America and on, on Indian reservations, and so we have a lot of work to do to get better uh, health distribution of counselors. But it, the, the fact is we have a manpower shortage in mental health, and rural areas are, are really in trouble in terms of being able to get competent care. That's one of the reasons we put all our training online so that we can train people anywhere on the planet uh, in remote areas and create local experts. And that's what you have to have. You have to have subject matter experts who are living in your community. So we're, you know, we train EMTs and firefighters and law enforcement in these remote areas to intervene and help suicidal people because we know there won't be a mental health professional for them. Sure. Like, you know, that I see that every day when I'm home. Um, Paul, I, I live in a real rural area growing up and, you know, VA services are far away. And if you don't have a car or there's not really any transportation, I mean, it's it's really difficult. Um, I wanted to ask you for for the people that are listening that, you know, might be family members of service members or in communities where there are lots of service members. Should they begin with taking like the gatekeeper training or what would you recommend for somebody who? is you know might be a baseball coach in the local community or in the rotary club someone where they come you know in contact with a lot of veterans and their families yeah the the basic course for everybody in a role like that who has has a relationship with a veteran or an active military person the the basic course is the qpr course and that that course is on the that's about 90 minutes, an hour to 90 minutes, depending on how many of the files you read and how if you choose to practice the intervention before trying it. That course is, I think, $29, and for your audience, because they're military and care about military, the, the prompt code to, for a 33% discount, I'll give you that too, is, is QPRO. Just add an O to QPR, and that'll lead to the discount. Which then takes it to like I think it's nineteen like twenty bucks, like right? The Pardon? best twenty bucks wow. you'll ever spend. Yeah, and just you know, we're we're retooling some of our material now. We're reshooting video. The video is a little dated, but the research evidence is very compelling. We've done studies comparing online QPR training to classroom, and the online is actually better in the sense that you have access to it for three years unlimited use. We encourage you to share the training with a family member because the goal here is to train families and particularly adult parents of soldiers and veterans because guess who's the closest contact who realizes that their child is in trouble? They're not sleeping, they're irritable, they're not going to, they're not fishing or having any fun, and they're entered into probably a clinical depression. They don't know it. It's co-occurring with any PTSD they may have, all kinds of discharge issues if they're recently discharged and trying to reacclimate. I've been through this. I'm a veteran. All my family are veterans. The younger brother was in Vietnam in 68 in combat, and we watched him try to reintegrate with actually no downtime at all from a firefight to Da Nang to Hawaii to my apartment in Washington State within four days. It's unbelievable. No decompression time. And uh, so we kind of know this, and we know that the people in their lives who can help them are those that are already in that life, not not me, not some psychologist down the road. It's the people already in your life. 
I'm I'm reading through your website, and uh, on the we've got a break that'll be coming up in just a, a short time. Um, but we want to get into talking a little bit about your books. Um, your books are um, are on Amazon, and um, interesting title: Suicide: The Forever Decision. Um, that was that's a profound title. Yeah, I actually, when I wrote that book, um, I asked my staff to come up with a title because the publisher couldn't and I couldn't. And so our marketing director actually came up with that title, and the, the, the uh, prize was $100. Oh. <laughs> so it's been, it's been widely translated now. It's available as an iPhone app, uh, and, it, and well, you can't get it on Android, but you can get it on iPhone in Spanish and English both. It's free. So people can get it there. They can download it from our website. Um, we, I, I, we're not talking about my fishing books, but if we want to, I, we have a new one coming out right away here. I have a colleague and I just finished one called the, well, the search. Of, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say I did one on the other side of the break. We do want to talk about your fishing books because um, that that just totally made me smile when I um, saw that not only do we have books on suicide, but we have books on fishing side by side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I live two lives. Well, and I bet the two are connected. (laughs) Go ahead, Sam. I'm sorry. Well, I just wanted to, you know, we we talked a lot about, you know, the QPR. How did you come up with the the QPR? You know, I know it's question, persuade, refer. Where did, I mean, did that come from, you know, triage? Where did you come up with that? It actually came out of a, a training grant that several of us worked on here in Washington State where we traveled around the state training healthcare professionals and how to recognize depression and treat it. And my job as the suicide prevention expert was to teach them about suicide as a symptom of untreated depression and how to assess that uh, risk. And what happened is that when we were training people, we found that when they got to asking about suicide, the word stuck in their throat. They could not ask. It was They just were too fearful to, to bring up the subject. And so driving home one evening after training all day, I, I basically went to sleep, and when I got up in the morning, I had this idea that well, the first thing we have to do is get people to ask the question. And that was the, where the cue came from. And then what followed was the, I was thinking, well, CPR, you have to do something you've never done before. You have to lean in close to a stranger and, you know, do something that feels pretty awkward until you do it a few times. So that's where it came from, actually, in a, I don't know, who, who blesses you when you're sleeping, but I went in the staff the next morning and said, I have this idea. And, of course, the gal gave me a laugh and an eye roll, and here we are, you know, 20 years later, probably the largest cleaner in the world. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Well, we yeah. uh, do have this break coming up, and uh, on the other side, we do want to talk a little bit more about your books and uh, especially the correlation because I have a feeling that there is a relationship between fishing and anyone's work. Um, I think one needs relief, but I, I totally want to talk about Pavlov's trout. <laughs> We're with Dr. Paul Quinette today from the QPR Institute, uh, qprinstitute.com. Stay with us. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio.
Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. And I and so, but we could do something special for them. And uh, hi, Military Moms. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we are visiting today with Dr. Paul Quinnett, and we are talking about a situation that we hope that no one ever faces. But if they do, we are giving you resources today to be prepared. Um, Rob, I'm just excited that there's something out here like this for our service members and their families who might have concerns. You know, I think taking one of these programs like, you know, the online gatekeeper training, you know, which is, you know, an hour of your time, but it really identifies like what are the warning signs, the common causes, like how to get help for someone in crisis, you know, how to question, how to persuade and refer someone. You know, that's the hardest part. We've been talking about, you know, just, you know, Dr. Paul said earlier in today's show, and for those of you that missed the early part of today's show, you can find us at militarymomtalkradio.com. You can go to iTunes and uh, type in uh, military suicide, and this show will come up uh, along with Dr. Paul Quinnett's name. That's Q-U-I-N-N-E-T. And, you know, it's such a hard conversation to have, but it doesn't have to be as hard if we just get a little understanding. And have the confidence to be able to do that. And I think that's what the program gives you. It, it gives that gatekeeper. And I love that term, uh, Dr. Paul, that term of the being the gatekeeper, because you are the one who – I think intervention is is almost a fearful word, but you're the one who is opening the door for this person's life. That's, that's exactly right. 
you're opening a conversation that most people can't have because they're afraid of it. And it's interesting because our research shows uh, that for everyone who's trained in QPR and goes through the training program, whether it's in a classroom or online, they actually have they have conversations with a public five other people about the subject of suicide. So if you do the math on that, we're roughly training 20,000 people a month. That means they're having conversations and sharing what they learned with another five people. That's 100,000 people a month that are learning to talk about suicide, and it's really learning to talk about it. I can remember, you know, when talking about sex was taboo or even talking about cancer. Remember Happy Rockefeller published her story about breast cancer in Life magazine. It changed the whole surface of the planet in terms of research, support, compassion, understanding. The American Cancer Foundation came out of that one story. Mm-hmm. And that kind of courage to step into a, a frightening topic and be candid and honest and, and be willing to learn is, is life-saving. There's no question about it. So that's what we're hoping to do with, with our project and you know, working with all kinds of groups to make that happen. Are you seeing success uh, stories coming come in? Well, we're getting yes. We get lots of success stories uh, from. Uh, we have training directors, suicide prevention training directors, and coordinators in lots of states, and they collect a lot of these stories for us from their trainings. Uh, but we also have emerging research now showing that where there's more gatekeeper training, like QPR, in in one county. And that the next county, there's been no training. The suicide rates are going down in those counties where there's been training. And that's the kind of hard evidence that we've all needed in suicide prevention because we haven't really had any good evidence since the U.S. Air Force study, which was published in 1993, I want to say, where they showed that a suicide prevention program not only reduced suicides in the Air Force by 33%, but also brought down rates of other kinds of violence, including homicide, accidental death, and particularly serious domestic violence. All those rates dropped dramatically as a result of addressing the core issue of individual distress and and uh, personal crisis and problems that we're causing people to think about ending their lives. So we, we know that suicide prevention works. Our Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Satcher, had said it's our most preventable form of death. So we're pushing for research and social policy change and employer policy. This has been a health and safety issue for the military for longer than any other uh, large group organization. At least the military uh, cares about this and is trying to do something about it. Most large employers don't even look at the problem. They just cover it up. Well, you know, Paul, I can tell you from living in a small town, you know, where we lost, you know, the 12-year-old boy um, to suicide uh, last end of school last year. Um, Yeah, nobody was talking about it, and now everybody's talking about it, and we want people to talk about it before it happens. Um, Because like you said, you know, it's a very final decision. Yes, and we we know that people seldom act until there's been a tragedy, but we really, we really got to put an end to this this whole thing in oregon i know everybody's thinking about what happened in roseburg but but what the general public doesn't understand and what the talking heads don't understand in my view after watching the talk shows yesterday is that the prime mover in these mass murders is always suicide the shooter is always suicidal first and homicidal second 
and this this young man uh, at, after the causing this horrible rampage and tragedy for all these families he killed himself but so did the people at columbine and and um and uh, sandy hook and you go down the list of all the mass murders they're all suicidal first two to four percent of american suicides include a homicide whether it's a domestic violence or whether it's a mass shooting so i just i just think we need a whole lot more information and a lot of more people thinking about what we're actually trying to address here and it's by and large untreated angry depressed suicidal men who have no future who are useless in their own eyes to the rest of society and they don't have the usual things that keep people happy and calm and contented and we we fail to address their mental health needs because we expect them to call us and i have a whole talk on this Men don't ask for directions when they're lost in cities, and they don't call crisis lines when they're suicidal. Mm -hmm. And so until we accept those realities and change the way we deliver services and get these young men in our tractor beams, and I used to work with this population. That was what I did in my clinical career for 30 years, was work with young men who were mentally ill many times who did not want to be treated, did not want any help, but it was our job, and the judges and courts helped us do that job, was to keep them in care and keep them safe from themselves and others. So I know it can be done, just a matter of will. Dr. Paul, we we kind of talked a little bit about your your fisherman and the fact that you've written a couple of books. I love the titles: Darwin's Trout and Pavlov's. Uh, excuse me, Darwin's Bass and and Pavlov's Trout. But talk just briefly a little uh, as a clinician. What is the importance of having something like fishing? Something uh, that is out of out of your daily, we, we have such a busy life. We have such um, demands on our time uh, every every moment of our waking hour. And then some, we're, we're stretching those hours um, to get a little bit more. How important is fishing to you and therefore important for someone else to find a similar counterpoint in their own lives? Well, I, I don't think I could over-recommend the need to have a recreational pursuit that allows people to decompress from the demands of modern life. I mean, there's just no, there's no substitute for it. And I can't say what it is. For me, it's fishing because I've been fishing for more than 60 years. <laughs> mm. And it's in nature. It's quiet. It's peaceful. There are not other people around. It's contemplative. Um, it's, it's enjoyable in all its respects. Even if you never catch a fish, you're in a beautiful place. And that's the uh, – I have a, a whole – I mean, in one of my books, I talk a lot about the psychology of fishing and as a as a therapeutic intervention. And people, you know, have said, "Well, you know, do you think fishing is good therapy?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, how could it not be better than sitting in an office talking with some idiot like me?" <laughs> no, I, I can't. Uh, I, I I don't I don't live in modern uh, cities anymore, uh, and for a very good reason. And I need the contours of nature. I need the sounds of nature. I need the healing powers of nature. And there's actually a lot of research showing that nature has these curative therapeutic properties. Uh, and there's just study after study showing that. And so I think people should maximize their time in nature and protect it. You know, uh, keep it clean. I, when I'm driving around through the woods, I see a beer can somebody threw out a window. I stop and pick it up because it's my world. And I want my world to look like it did in its natural state. <laughs> 
That's beautiful. So uh, if I think. People- I was going to say, I think it's so, uh, I, I love the fact that youth programs are, we had um, our the assistant director of the National Park Service on a couple of weeks ago um, in talking about these outdoor programs for the kids, um, helping them get outdoors. And I think we have to refresh kids and reorient them, and hopefully they'll grow up to be um, uh, people who appreciate the outdoors just as you do. Well, I, yeah, and I, I really support all of that stuff with with kids and uh, lots of good research on that and there's a lot of good reasons why they need to be there so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned I had a, I have a new book coming out this month just in time for Christmas it's all humor. oh wonderful oh good yeah. what's the title yeah. it's called the world's most elusive trout if you google <laughs> that it's called the search for the world's most elusive trout <laughs> No, it, oh. but it's it's a wonderful book. I found an artist here in my hometown, Deanna Camp. And she's a wonderful, whimsical artist. She draws these fantastic. Uh, she paints these uh, very unique fish that have never existed. And then she, we ran into each other at a Trout Unlimited uh, party at the end of the year last year. And she knew who I was, and I didn't know who she was. But when I found out, she said, "Would you co-work, uh, write a book for me, write the backstories of these." These, these crazy trout, and um, I said, oh, boy, would I like to try, and we hit it off, and so we're meeting actually next uh, Wednesday this week to, to plan our, our uh, marketing strategy, so <laughs> people, uh, I think people will enjoy the book. Her artwork is fantastic, and I've got a few stories in there, but most it's all humor, so I need that to do the work I do, as you can imagine. As, absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. Dr. Paul Quinnett, thank you so much for being our guest today. Um, you can find a lot more information about the uh, QPR program at qprinstitute.com. Um, and definitely look for Dr. Paul's books on Amazon. Um, ex- extremely informative books on suicide, but delightful reprieve on, on fishing books as well. Uh, and a great holiday gift in store for you. Thank you, Dr. Paul, so much. Well, thank for being you, with Sandy us. and Robin. I very much enjoyed the conversation. Uh, a much valuable uh, conversation for us and our listeners as well. Um, do stay tuned next week. We've got another great guest in store for you, and we hope all of you will check us out at militarymomtalkradio.com as well as checking out all of our podcasts on iTunes. We'll be back next week with a great conversation just for you. Take care. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation 